Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Naturopathic Times podcast. If you are new to our show, this is an interview podcast that bridges the gap between naturopathic philosophy and common day practice. I am your host, Katerina Meister. And I'm your co-host, Stephanie Yacopedia. And as a final reminder, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and share with someone you know. On to the show. Today's very special guest is a regenerative medicine expert and is a phenomenal recognized leader in naturopathic medicine. She is also a chiropractor, author, speaker, teacher, researcher, podcast host, and business mentor. Her main areas of practice include natural pain solutions and regenerative injection therapies to treat all varieties of musculoskeletal conditions. Please welcome our guest, Dr. Tina Moore. Hello, thanks for having me, ladies. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks yes, for joining. Yes, we're so happy that you're here. Um, well, for people who don't know you, um, we would love to hear a little bit about how you ended up in this natural medicine uh, place and who is Tina Moore today? Sure. Well, that's a big question. I started out years ago as a very, very sick kid and was sort of shuttled around from specialist to specialist by my mom, um, trying to help find some answers for me. I was pumped full of antibiotics pretty much right out the chute as an infant and chronic ear infections, had my tonsils taken out as a small child, all that jazz. As I got older, um, they just pumped more stuff into me via needles and pills. Not my mom, just the doctors just kept at it. And I kept getting sicker and sicker. The only doctors that ever listened to me were my family chiropractors. And so my mom always took us to the family chiropractor and they were all very holistic. They talked to me about nutrition and movement and sleep and all of the things that were important. Um, so I'm eternally grateful for that. I didn't know a thing about naturopathic medicine until I was out of undergrad. My undergrad was funny because I was going to be an MD. I was going to become an MD. My entire life I wanted to become an MD because I really thought the system was flawed. And I thought there had to be a better answer. And if I could become a medical doctor, I, I could find that answer. I, there was no such thing as functional medicine back then. There was, I mean, you just had to go down the allopathic route and hope for the best that, you know, that I would find the answers that I looked for, that I sought. I worked at Oregon Health Sciences University in the early nineties as a research assistant in the Alzheimer and dementia clinic. And I remember one of the top neurologist at the time saying that if he spent more than seven minutes in a room with a patient, he was losing money with the way HMOs were going. And that was the advent of our modern uh, insurance system in the United States. And it was really, totally freaked me out. And I was like, screw this. I kind of derailed for a while. And then somewhere in right after undergrad, I was answering phones at a real estate agency because I was just working a temp job, living at home, trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do with my life. There was no way I was going. I had a science degree. I had a bachelor's of science from one of the top 10 schools in the nation. And there was no way I was going to go work in a cubicle under fluorescent lights like my all my friends did at Intel, right? Because I was living in Portland. Everybody went to work for mm -hmm. Intel and I was like, screw that. So I somehow ended up getting a phone call. I applied for a job actually with a naturopathic doctor here in town. He rejected me, but he sent my resume over to my mentor, my soon to be mentor, Dr. Rick Marinelli, who was just a force of nature in this profession and such a big deal. And I hope his name is never forgotten because he is the reason we have such a broad scope in so many states. Mm -hmm. And he somehow got my resume mm -hmm. and he called me and I went to see him. I'm going to cry. I went to see him in his little office in Beaverton. And he was about my age at the time. And I was just like, we, it was like that. It was like two Jedis found each other. And that was it. Like, I love that you call them Jedi. I love that you call him a Jedi and you a Jedi. I love that. 
I love all of your analogies, but that one is like the best one, I think. <laughs> you know, when you're in a room, like you could be in a room of hundreds of people and you can find the other Jedi mm-hmm. pretty fast, right? Yeah. <laughs> you guys all eye each other and you know what you're going to do while all the, while the normal humans fight amongst themselves. So, um, yeah. He was my guide and mentor for almost 20 years and then he died of cancer after mm-hmm. I got out of school. And I went through both routes because I actually was in chiropractic. I started in chiropractic college, much to his dismay, many years later. And he and I drank a bottle of wine one night and he convinced me to go to naturopathic school. So I jumped ship. Over a bottle of wine. (laughs) I jumped jumped ship over to naturopathic school. I got to NCNM. It was NCNM at the time. And I was like, what the heck have I done? These are not my people. This is not my scene. It was like, it seemed like a bunch of idealistic hippies that wanted to like sing Kumbaya with each other. And I was like, I was used to Rick and all his friends who were all kind of jocks. They were like hippie jocks who all did physical medicine. And so I was super confused, but I have to say at the end of the day, I made some incredible friends and relationships there. And I found the heart to my medicine and I'm glad I went through that program. Um, And then I, somehow ended up in the, I went back to chiropractic college and concurrently and then did them, there's my dog, did them both for about five and a half years total and got out with both degrees. And um, yeah, that was like 10 years ago, over 10 years ago. And then I did, I had a broad practice doing a lot of autoimmune and hormones and regenerative medicine. He died in 2013. I went to all regenerative medicine. I was pretty much the only one in town doing that. And I've always been all cash in an insurance-based state. And I have always done really, really well. And then I actually closed my practice, like at the height of my success in that closed my practice because I was just kind of over it. Like I just didn't, I don't know, I was 40 something. And I was like, just a couple of years ago. And I was like, I just want to see what life feels like outside of a clinic. Cause I'd always been in a clinic either mm-hmm. as a patient or as a practitioner. And so I bailed and, um, I'm doing what I'm doing now, which is coaching other doctors and doing some stuff with the public and just, um, you know, I figured out how to make money online and that's a lot easier and yeah. Fun. <laughs> So the passion to get into chiropractic and naturopathic medicine, was that all kind of through like Rick having him as a mentor or where does that kind of come from? It was me trying to find answers because I was so sick and I was watching my family members age really badly and I did not want to be walking down that path. So I was frantically searching for answers for myself and my family and I, you know, it's funny, I got out of school, we're all a little extra idealistic in school. And that's no, you should be, it's, it's a good place to be. But in 10 years, you're going to feel a lot different than you do right now about how the world works, how it should work anyway, um, or based on how you, how it should work and how it really works. Right. (laughs) And I, so badly, I, you know, I remember getting out of school, I was such a massive information intaker. Like I'm so good at just digesting massive quantities of information Mm. and processing it. And I was so excited. I got out of school and I was like, I have all the answers. I know how to help people. I have all the solutions. And I'll be honest with you, several years into practice, it became very clear to me that most people don't give a shit. Yeah. Like they don't give a shit about their health. Even right now, like it's, so blaringly obvious what the risk factors are for, you know, this global health crisis taking us down. And yet people just want to argue with me all day on social media. And even our, many of our own want to argue with me all day about it. And I'm like, man, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I do know like another naturopathic doctor who literally spends her whole day just explaining to patients why this works and why, like lifestyle is literally the key to their whole health journey. If they would just change their lifestyle mm-hmm. and their diet, um, they would experience what they want in the world, which is like no pain, a world without pain. Yeah. Um, 
So it's pretty amazing that people don't seem to correlate those two together or they don't want to make that change despite that. Um, but you got into like the chronic pain world, which is usually like pretty, it's a tough population, I think, yeah. to work with too. Yeah. So what, what kind of like, how was that when you were working with that and doing pro low therapy and different things? So yeah, so I doubled down heavily on regenerative injections because I'm I'm just good at it. Like that was I remember the first time I was at a seminar that Rick was teaching and I was injecting and he was like, "Damn, like you've got something here." And I got to say, I trained a lot. Of, I probably trained more naturopathic doctors in regenerative injections than any other human on this planet at this point. Hundreds and hundreds of people of naturopathic doctors have come through my office to train. And um it's very rare that I find someone that just gets it. It's, it's a needle in a haystack. People will get through it. People will be decent at it. People will sometimes be somewhat talented at it, but it's every once in a while I meet someone, it's usually a woman and it's just like, dang, they've got that touch. You know, they've, there's just something there, something highly intuitive. And I think I had that and I really doubled down on that because I wanted to be really, really good at it. And it's funny, you know, when you, <laughs> When you're young and you're just out of school, you learn about all these fancy tests and all the companies are kind of courting you, trying to train you and like the latest advancement in mold testing and gut testing and all these tests, right? When I got out, it was like neurotransmitters and, you know, the next generation, it was mm -hmm. genomics and now it's this and this. And at the end of the day, if people do not take 100% responsibility for their day-to-day -day life and literally like what they put in their mouth, mm -hmm. who they spend their time with, do they have any kind of like quiet downtime meditative practice that can be as simple as going for walks quietly do they go to sleep on time and optimize their sleep do they move with um you know with with intention right not just like blind movement all the do they hydrate all the basics if those things are not dialed in nothing works you know like it just doesn't and so rick was very much of that I was like the new excited student and he was the old timer kind of getting bitter. And he was like, you're talking, you know, like I wanted to do like all these fancy things. And he's like, okay, <laughs> because the, the <laughs> true always prevails and basics never go out. Yeah. Right. So it's mm -hmm. just a really interesting ride. Yeah. I learned. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no. I was just going to say like, I, I think I'm learning that the hard way right now. Cause in, in clinic, I want to do all like these lab tests. Cause I want to like see it for myself. And the, the supervisors are like, we've already done these tests. Like we've seen the patterns, like we don't need to run the test. Yeah. <laughs> so it is. Yeah. The basics, I can relate the to that. The basics are not sexy, but they're not, <laughs> they're, you just can't. Go yeah. And, and I, I encourage, I mean, you two are both beautiful, healthy women. Um, but I, I see a lot, even in the holistic health space, I see a lot of people who look really sick. Mm -hmm. They look really deconditioned. They look really sick. And I'm not trying to speak from a high place. I get accused that a lot. I get accused a lot by our own profession. I get accused a lot by the public of being entitled, of being privileged. And I will own my white privilege and I will uh, own a lot of things, but I did not come from money and I did not get, uh, I did not have a golden spoon put in my mouth. I have suffered enormous health challenges and really the only, I, and I had access to all of the therapies of the world because I was friends with all these practitioners. I didn't have to go out and spend the 40, 50, $100,000 that some really sick people do. I pretty much could access it for any, uh, something I could afford, right? Because I've always had me right. in a regenerative space. So you, anything coming down the chute was like, I was game for. No passive care ever healed me. 
it was, it's wonderful to get regenerative injections. It's wonderful to receive IVs. It's wonderful to biohack all these things like before the term biohacking, right? Rick was doing IVs back in the eighties. It, it was wonderful to do all that. But at the end of the day, like me going to bed at nine o'clock at night and me lifting weights a few times a week and me managing my stress and me making sure that I like hit my, my protein goals and my hydration goals during the day and me like learning boundaries, fierce boundaries are really the only thing that ever got me out of my career in chronic illness cycle. So I've been there and I have been poor as shit. I have been bankrupt. I have been so many things. And so I know when the younger generation looks at me, they're like, oh, Tina, you know, you're a rock star. I went through hell and alone with a small daughter by myself, like through so much hell to get out and get through that. And so when I say the only way out is through, I mean that on so many levels, right? Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, when you're going through the program with your daughter, and then finally getting, I'm kind of surprised, like you took the route of like, I'm kind of done here. It was almost like you had that self realization that this was kind of a bit a huge stressor in my life that I needed to switch, switch it and maybe like teach people versus do it myself. Yeah. Well, my health was challenged because my online presence was growing and that was a full-time job. And then I was trying my practice and that was growing like crazy because the online thing was growing like crazy. And I was just walking around chronically sick again. You know, there I was all these years later with like chronic pneumonia all the time and just stressed out of my mind. And it got to the point where I was dreading going into the clinic. I love going in to teach workshops. I hated going in to treat patients and I love patients. Like once I got there, I was fine because I love these people. I had amazing, you know, I was application only practice. So I really had curated my patient base and I loved everyone I was in there with, but it, I think it was the universe's way of screaming at me to turn right, you know, just to, and I, I listen to that. I, I have a, I'm, I'm very clairvoyant. I knew it as a child and I have mm -hmm. fought it my whole life. Even in this profession, it's kind of frowned upon to talk about that stuff, but I just know things. And I know when I am living a lie, I know when I am living mm -hmm. in a situation, I've been in marriages where I'm like, it's screaming at me that I have to get out of this. And I've been mm -hmm. in career paths where it's screaming at me that I have to, I have to re-navigate. Like just recently, I shut down all my high-end masterminds this year because 2021 wants something different from me. So I shut down hundreds of thousands of dollars of business like that. And everybody said, are you insane? And I was like, no, I'm, I'll figure it out. Like I'm adaptable. Mm. <laughs> I'm an, I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur. You're fearless. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm an entrepreneur and I know how it works. I know how psychology works mm. and I know how people's brains work. And, um, I know that if I just am always of service and I'm never coming from a greed based place and I'm always coming from a place where I over deliver value and I know I'm helping people that they will come. Right. Mm -hmm. So, right. Well, you have a ton of like free content online, everywhere, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. So if you haven't checked that out, go and check her out. But uh, you have this like undeniably like honest posts, like the most honest you could ever be every single post you make. And it's I think that's something to be like, that's a value that people admire because not everyone's like that real on social media, especially. Thank you. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know. I just can't lie. I, I can't, I can't lie. You're going to make me cry. I just can't bullshit people. There's so much 
bullshit in the world. And there's mm-hmm. so many, there's so much un, half truths and so many people are afraid and they're afraid to put themselves out there and they're afraid to speak the truth. I keep having people come at me saying, I'm so disappointed in um, the functional medicine healers. I'm so disappointed, you know, since this pandemic struck, I'm so disappointed in these people yeah. for not taking a stance. And I'm like, well, their brand dictates that they have to stay doing what they're doing. They can't always take a stance because they'll lose their income. And I get yeah. that 100%, yeah. right? But I so built crazy. my brand. Like my brand literally is me taking a stance. Mm-hmm. Like I purposely yeah. made sure my brand was um, strong enough in that capacity where like I didn't have to sugarcoat anything ever later. You know, like I built it out to be honest so that honestly, truly me. And so I don't diss those people. Um, but their followers can see through it and it's frustrating to their followers. And we all have to, at the end of the day, support our families and make our money. But I, so absolutely no disrespect, but I also just knew I have to make my brand fit me a hundred percent and me a hundred percent is like, I just can't, I can't with the bullshit anymore. And now it's just being thrown at us and, you know, astronomical levels and whatever level we believe on that, it's fine. I just, I, I don't know. I can't do it. I, I guess also too, I have a 20, yeah. I have a 21 year old daughter and I can't ever let her see me lie. Mm. Like I can't ever let her at the end of all of this, however it goes down, she'll know what side I stood on. And mm-hmm. I just take a lot of hate and I've lost a lot of friends and I've lost a lot of colleagues <laughs> and I wow. take hit. I just, just today, just right before this got tore into by one of my friends from high school, who's very afraid, same narrative all over and over. I keep hearing the same narrative. I got one last week from a friend who is a colleague and uh, one, yeah. of, one of our own. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> so that's fine. Well, yeah. Like, I- yeah. It's, it's insane though. Um, like today we, like, I was trying to just post our, uh, like new, new episode on Instagram and it's like not letting us. And then I try to do it on Facebook and like, they're not allowing like the link to be shared from a WordPress site. It's like, uh, that's a blogging site for people to express themselves. And it just like blows my mind that like these things are happening. I don't know what is happening to our world right now. It's really easy to it's really easy to assume that everything is like, I don't know. I was listening to a guy on Instagram today who he's a bit of a, well, he's totally a psychic, but he was saying there's, a, <laughs> there's a difference between being a wayfinder, meaning someone who shows people the way, um, a truth teller. And it, it's like a fine line between that and a conspiracy theorist. And when you start to believe your own narrative and you get hung up in it and the minute you show emotion, that's when you turn into a conspiracy theorist. And I thought that was really good because there's times when I'm trying to express something and I, uh, I'm so emotionally charged about it and I try really hard to stay neutral. Um, and I know, I, I think I'm probably one of the most volatile, impassioned people I've ever met. And if you ask anyone close to me, they'll be like, Tina, neutral. Yeah. I mean, not, <laughs> not, I mean it's not that I'm not neutral. I'm just very opinionated. <laughs> Yeah, and I get compliments all this time on Instagram from people saying like, you're truly the only like one of the few health practitioners who didn't take a political stance, like you've stayed very neutral. And you've just planted seeds, mm-hmm. you know, along the way to let yeah. people go look and it doesn't even mean I agree with the seed. I'm just planting the seed because it's information that I think might be important to this conversation. And that people should know about, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't understand why that immediately makes me a conspiracy theorist. But well, you're a researcher, so you you question everything. And it's not that you're trying to be a conspiracy theorist. You're just wondering, okay, are 
or is what they're saying to me like accurate or truthful? And um, I was like looking into like what you're talking about on the COVID PCR tests and how there's like false negatives. Um, and then I was talking to some other people how, oh, that test uh, like in the in medical community, conventional like nurses and st- nurse practitioners. And they were like, oh, this is the most accurate test. Like they're not questioning it at all. Like they're taking it at face value for what whatever is being told to them. Yep. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you look at how the test was even made, it it was made differently than any other PCR test um, currently being used. It was using more, more strains than other tests were. Yeah. So it was obscuring the data too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. We don't, we don't even have solid data. It's so, it's so skewed. And then just even in Oregon, and I know many other states, it, the way that they report is if you died with it, you it's listed as a COVID death, right? right? Which I understand for tracking purposes, that's, we need to keep track of that, that this person indeed had this or came up positive on us with a potentially very inaccurate test. Um, but it's just, it's kind of all over. So we can't, there's just a strong fear narrative. And anytime I've actually taken to asking people when they start in with it, I say, what are you afraid of? Like mm. true, truly, mm-hmm. like, what are you afraid of? And they, it usually boils down to something very emotional. First thing they say is I'm most of the time they'll say, I'm very afraid of um, the, the post COVID syndrome, the long hauler syndrome. Right. Mm. And, I, and I say, you know, we've known forever that there is a post syndrome with nearly every infectious agent on the planet. Look up sequelae of the flu, look up sequelae of mono. mono. Yes. I mean, I, I was a long hauler from cytomegalovirus and then I was again from the flu many years later. So like I get it. Right. And if you, if you actually think about what naturopathic doctors do, I would say the bulk of us are treating people with some kind of post something syndrome, (laughs) some post. Yeah. I mean, shit, cancer is a post infectious syndrome in many ways. It's many, very much, you know, a post viral syndrome. So, well, yeah, I think they're scared though. Cause it's like the conventional model. They only offer you antiviral, um, like Tamiflu and then that, then you're done and the rest, they can't, they don't offer you anything else, which I could be like biased, but every time I've gone to the practitioner myself or observed another MD, um, giving someone like a flu treatment, they literally don't give them anything. And I could think of like a thousand nutrients to give this person. Yeah. yeah. And so people are really hung up on that. And that's a big narrative. The media is pushing and a big narrative. People are hanging their hats. I'm like, Oh my gosh. So not only am I terrified and it's, 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 um, it's logical that they would feel fear, right? Like not only are they terrified of dying of a virus. So here's a virus, here's catching the virus. That's a, those are two different things. And then there's catching the virus mm-hmm. and getting sick. Those are two different things. You might catch it and not even have symptoms. Right. You might just barrel right through it. And then there's catching it and dying. So these are very different conversations. And yet it's all clumped into one. And then there's, oh, if I catch it, not only am I afraid I'm going to die from it, so I have to get over that hurdle. Now I'm afraid I'm going to get reinfected. And I'm afraid I'm going to have long hauler syndrome. Oh my goodness. So they, they logically are quite afraid. And then when I talk them through that, The next thing they immediately say is, well, I don't want to kill my grandfather. I don't want to kill my father. I'm like, you're not going to kill anyone, first of all. (laughs) And second of all, 
it's going to make its way through whether we like it or not. Like yeah. mother nature has a different agenda than our plan. And we're just slowing that spread. If people are susceptible to dying from it now and they continue to live the way they're living, they will be susceptible to dying from it later. And I don't say that with any level of um, like disrespect or or to make people feel more fear. It's just, that's how viruses work. I guess I spent a lot of time studying animal behaviorism and zoology. And like, if you talk to a veterinarian, they'll tell you, like, we know how viruses work in a herd. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I live in a rural area where people have done uh, animal husbandry. And so they're like, I asked my fiance who raised cattle for years. I said, okay, virus hits your herd. What do you do? And he said, you quarantine the sick. That's what quarantine means. You quarantine the sick and you let the virus rip through the rest of the herd and you hope for the best. And if I said, okay, now suppose that there's an animal in that herd or two, and they're kind of sick, always been a little sickly. They kind of just aren't real robust. Um, You're going to let it rip through them. And he said, yeah. And I said, and how are they going to come out of it? And he said, usually not so good. Those are not usually the ones we would sell for meat. Like they're usually not going to, those are not you know, they're going to be kind of messed up for the rest of their lives. That's post-viral syndrome. So this is a really well understood concept with mammals. And yet we think as humans, we're somehow immune to the laws of nature around mammals. Yeah. This also just reminds me that people cherry pick information and take whatever fits their beliefs. And it's like, well, well, this one study came out that fits my belief, doesn't matter what other information's out there. So, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It's wild. And I feel like so much and so many in medicine have even just like, I'm like, some of the, some of the stuff I hear some of my colleagues say and other medical practitioners, I'm like, I remember being in class with you. <laughs> like, we learned the same yeah. thing. So <laughs> we had the same teacher. We had the same curriculum. We took the same board exams. Like, how are we having such a very different experience? But you know, fear is hardwired into the amygdala. Like that's just a mammalian response. And so, I mean, really what we're dealing with right now is just a very high level PTSD, like on a worldwide level. It's Mm -hmm. been going on long enough. Well, like the people in hospitals, they weren't, well, I feel like they almost induced the fear more because they weren't giving them, when this all first started, they weren't giving them N95s. And then they were seeing like the most severe outcomes probably of the whole pandemic at the very beginning because that's when the virus was the strongest. And so when that was happening, now they have that fear throughout this whole pandemic of they saw the worst. And so then now they're on the news like this is the worst thing they're but they're not they're not saying the whole story like you're saying they're not saying well these people were actually all they all had diabetes or they all were overweight no one person in the clinic was not overweight they weren't saying the whole picture so people are unaware of okay well why why was that even happening they're not questioning it they're just thinking this virus is deadly this virus is like the scariest thing so what happened for me my experience in all of this was i immediately moved out to a rural place in the country and i had a video go viral and I got a ton of followers overnight from the specifically around the topic of the pandemic. And so a ton of health practitioners from all over the world started following me. And guess what? I was getting information from ICUs all over the world in real time, wow. this entire time that this has been going on. I think I'm in a unique position that way. I think I'm in a unique position in that nurses in particular were not buying into the narrative. And 
nurse practitioners. Um, now I'm hearing from home health specialists, people who once you go home and you're discharged from the hospital, the people who call you and take care of you at that point or come over and take care of you. Um, I've heard from respiratory specialists. I've heard from you name it in real time. And 99.99% of the people who are ending up in bad situations on vents or dying are obese and diabetic period. Mm -hmm. Like, and I was trying, you know, Mike Mutzel is another one. We were trying to say this from the beginning and people just, just attacked. I, I can't even tell you what I dealt with. And somebody the other day said, gosh, I just don't know how you deal with it. I have such a small following and I can't handle it. And I'm like, this is not for mere mortals. But I'm like, I just can't be silent when I'm getting real time updates from real yeah. practitioners on the field. So when they're on the front line, I'm in the front row and I'm hearing from them. And it's just like, they're like, and now I'm hearing from doctors and teachers and other government people who are terrified of forced vaccinations, who are all, we're going to have to see a huge attrition, a massive attrition out of these industry or out of these career paths. And then we're going to be left with no teachers and no doctors. And I don't mean no, but not none, not zero, but we're going to have, we're going to see a, a large uh exodus out. I've also been hearing from practitioners who were like myself, very successful and doing very well and have been in the game a while. And this just seemed like a really good time to close up shop. So we're losing a lot of senior practitioners who were wonderful resources mm -hmm. in the community. So just from the people I know alone who've retired, tens of thousands of patients are now out of a doctor or out of that particular genius that that doctor held, you know, and just as many of those mm -hmm. of, as have left are now are planning on leaving. And so they're calling me and they're like, I'm getting out, I'm getting out. Um, I know of a whole group of people who've moved of doctors who've moved onto a commune and are no longer participating with patient care. So the, the beyond the economy collapsing and all these small businesses being shut down, we're going to see this huge fallout of like some of the best minds in our profession and, or in our, in medicine in general, like saying, mm. see ya, wow. you know, which is really heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So. Wow. There's a massive yeah. shift happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't blame them. It's just a good time to, you know, cut overhead and cut and run and take what they have. Many of them have online following, so they know how to make money online and, so then we have all of you guys who are just fresh, <laughs> just coming out. I know. This isn't is stressful at all. I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. So can we dig a little bit into the science of COVID and the obesity epidemic? What is happening here? There's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot. Okay, so the obesity thing. Gosh, there's so much here. Um... And that's a wrap. Just kidding. We have the rest of that interview coming out next week, so stay tuned. Until then, if you want to give Dr. Tina a follow, her handle is drtyna on Instagram. And we have all of the rest of our social media links on our episode highlight pages at naturopathictimespod.com. Go ahead and give us a subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Comment, rate, review, and most of all, share with someone you know. Until we see you guys next week, bye. Bye.